five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is a special edition of the Space Cube Podcast. In this podcast from the Cassie Astro 18 Conference in Quebec City, you'll hear from Dr. Lucy Stoyak, Chair of the Government-Appointed Space Advisory Board. Dr. Stoyak was the Cassie 2018 Turnbull Lecturer and provided a review of the activities of the Space Advisory Board to date, along with their planned future activities. For more podcasts and stories from Cassie Astro 18, go to spaceq.ca slash tag slash astro dash 2018. Thank you very much, uh, Jeff, for those uh, kind uh, introductory words. Thank you to Cassie for uh, honoring the Space Advisory Board uh, with this opportunity to uh, provide you with an update and uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, the future road ahead of us. Uh, merci aussi uh, en particulier à Jacques Giroux, qui est uh, maintenant le président uh, de, le, du Cassie et de Astro 2018, et probablement peut-être le seul citoyen de, de la ville de Québec qui est ici dans la salle avec nous. Donc, un grand merci aussi d'avoir pensé à, au Space Advisory Board, au Conseil consultatif sur l'espace, pour nous insérer dans cette très belle conférence qui, si j'ai bien compris, a été un très grand succès. I'm uh, really delighted to see uh, a lot of familiar faces. Uh, many of you contributed to the SAB journey uh, over the past year. I'm delighted that you are back, and uh, thank you very much for your contributions, and we hope that you will continue uh, supporting the SAB. I'm also extremely pleased, and this is uh, from a personal perspective, not with an SAB chair hat on, very pleased to see so many uh, ISU alumni uh, present over here. It's like a, a trip through uh, memory lane, seeing that uh, the investments that were made uh, in the late 80s, early 90s to invest uh, in education and in interdisciplinary space education has now, 20, 15, 20 years later, really led to the advancement of Canadian talent in many um, institutions at the CSA and industry and new companies were developed thanks to some of the alumni and uh, that really really, really uh, makes me extremely happy. So that is a, a personal um, note. So the Space Advisory Board, um, as you know, was mandated back in April 2017. So it's, um, it's been almost a year day to day. In fact, exactly a year ago today, we were, I think, in Toronto at one of our roundtables. So in April 2017, uh, the Honourable Minister Navdeep Baines reinvigorated the Space Advisory Board and um, asked us to take on as a mandate or tasked us to carry out some outreach activities and conduct consultations to help the government develop a space strategy uh, for Canada. He encouraged us along the lines of the uh, Innovations and Skill Plan to uh, encourage a growing space sector, to certainly continue attracting talent, to inspire Canadians, to contribute to scientific advancement of emerging technologies, and to support companies to scale up, uh, as, as I mentioned. 
innovation has been highlighted numerous times in the recent innovation and skills plan. So who are we? We, as a reminder, are still here. We are a board comprised of 11 members with very various backgrounds, ranging from uh, law to scientists. We have CEOs, members of academia, professors, uh, consultants, and we feel that this diversity of perspectives is something that is a strength of the Space Advisory Board as we uh, traveled through our journey of the roundtables and came up uh, with our report. So we held uh, seven roundtables in total, in person, two that were carried out by webinar. These were very well received. They were attended by over 180, maybe closer to 200 individuals. We received numerous written submissions, at least 70 written submissions, to feed into the process of uh, providing input on the development of a space a strategy. We one thing that struck us was the enthusiasm, the passion, the knowledge, the dedication of all of those who did attend the, the different roundtables and contributed to this effort. And there was a tremendous amount of um, um, enthusiasm and optimism and desire to contribute and to move the space sector uh, forward. Many new ideas came up. Many uh, great suggestions were made. We could not, in the time frame that we had to deliver our report addressed them, but clearly uh, one of the future roles of the SAB certainly could be to reinvigorate and keep reminding and bringing up some of the great suggestions and ideas that were brought up during the roundtable. So we then de delivered our report entitled Consultations on Canada's Future in Space, what we heard to Minister Baines as requested in uh, the early part of the month of June, and our report was released publicly in August uh, 2017. We made one main recommendation in terms of how to move the space agenda forward, which was to designate space as a national strategic asset. This, um, as a reminder, was also based on six broad themes that I'm going to highlight very briefly with the slides, but basically designating space as a national strategic um, asset for the SAB, based on what we heard, would be a way to focus the importance of space with the whole of government approach with seen as a key element in advancing uh, space in Canada. Uh, the regulatory and procurement environment uh, in terms of invigoration and updating was an, an, another important factor. And certainly to be able to attract talent, continue to inspire and attract uh, young Canadians into STEM fields. So just very uh, uh, quickly to highlight some of the things that we heard, why designating space as a national strategic asset was so important. Clearly, Canada has a unique position uh, in the world in terms of its geography. It provides space, provides um, unification of the country. It provides essential services. It enables connectivity. It provides uh, uh, data that allows government to fulfill key needs for Canada, uh, surveillance, security, environment management, issues that are all well known to you. It's therefore strategic because it's often the only capability that allows to address uh, these issues. 
issues. It's really part of uh, Canada's infrastructure, and so we strongly uh, heard across our roundtables and across the country that designating space as a strategic asset would ensure that this infrastructure aspect, this embeddedness of space, not only in uh, government needs to uh, deliver on services to Canada and provide a high quality of life to uh, its citizens, but also embedded into, into the social fabric and highlighting these socio-economic benefits to the Canadian citizens uh, would become clearer if the government at the highest level would designate space as a national strategic asset. It was also highlighted uh, in our report that other countries have done so. Uh, certainly uh, many countries in the G7 have done so, and so it seemed a natural progression for Canada to designate space as a national security, as a national uh, strategic asset, sorry. The international nature also of space and the increasingly uh, increasing availability of data in terms of having this as a strategic asset was also uh, heard throughout our, our roundtables. The international aspects seem to be important to highlight again in terms of developing Canadian technologies. It's often through partnerships that Canada is able to advance uh, its technologies, its capabilities, and to attract uh, talent. And in terms of data, I was uh, only able to attend this morning's uh, panel that was uh, led amongst others by uh, Kevin Whale and Catherine and this uh, aspect of data and integrating and using Space data with other data sets seems to also be something increasingly um, in the future that will become important to protect as a capability for Canada in providing services and, and needs to its citizens. The second uh, theme that was heard and that uh, um, helped us develop our recommendations in terms of declaring space as a national uh, strategic asset was increasing Canadian capability. We repeatedly heard across the country that there was a talent drain, that there were insufficient opportunities for Canadian uh, scientists, for young uh, Canadian entrepreneurs to gain experience here, to get funding, to ensure, to ensure their future in terms of, uh, especially for the scientists, in terms of having missions that they knew would be in the pipeline that they could invest their time in and know that in the long run they would continue having a job. So the capability or the capacity building was seen in terms of, of the skills, the workforce, the need to reinvigorate and stop the bleeding basically is one of the words that was repeatedly heard uh, in the roundtables. It was a means to attract better corporate investment and uh, uh, decrying this lack of um, financial stability in terms of investment, indicating that for some Canadian companies, especially startups and uh, SMEs, that there was increasingly a greater opportunity to obtain funding from offshore sources than here within Canada. So some of the means uh, or key proposals in order to address this particular challenge were to uh, foster better international cooperation and partnership to support the development and the growth of the industry, and also to perhaps um, use procurement uh, as a leverage to facilitate access to uh, companies here in Canada to access uh, funding. Providing flight opportunities also was one of the key uh, uh, capability uh, 
aspects that needed to be brought back up to speed in Canada if we were to remain competitive with what other countries were doing um, in the space sector. Adopting new policies and regulations to capitalize on technological advancements. Again, this basically addressed the new space phenomenon, the fact that um, other countries were rapidly and aggressively adopting legislation. Uh, we heard that uh, the regulatory regime required some updating, that waiting times to obtain licenses were quite long. Uh, to place emphasis on downstream activities also seemed to be important. And this possibility of also encouraging the Canadian uh, uh, government and different departments to actually uh, buy services from industry rather than procuring and operating space systems. And so the idea of the government serving as an anchor tenant so that the private sector could better position itself both here but also internationally in terms of credibility uh, and sort of uh, rubber stamping of uh, Canada in terms of the success stories of its own industry. So again, adopting new policies and regulations would be a, a means to address this particular uh, concern and help advance the space sector. Continuity of policies and sustainable funding. One of the things that we uh, heard systematically also, and this is nothing new to those of you in this uh, room, that space is complex, space requires, uh, space missions are long-term investments, and so having a stable and sustained and regular cadence of missions, a flagship mission, uh, smaller missions, uh, medium-sized missions to allow technology development, to allow universities to develop technologies that could then be benchmarked, brought up to commercialization, and then scaled up. All of these factors were seemed as seemed to be extremely important uh, to all of the stakeholders that we heard. So the balance and vision, the balance in programs, the balance in categories also of missions, uh, uh, diversification between Earth observation, exploration, seemed to be something that was key so that you would be able to plan a long-term uh, program if you were a university researcher, if you were someone in industry, you would be able to have a long-term sustained program uh, with obviously the funding to back that program and that cadence of missions. Outreach and education programs to inspire uh, and prepare Canadians. Uh, clearly, um, this was one of the resounding points that was made by um, all participants in the roundtables. To be able to have the skilled workforce will require continued uh, outreach activities, sensitizing the Canadian uh, public to the importance of space, making the case for space in a way that connects with each uh, citizen and makes each person understand what the impact of investment in space brings to them and to their family. Education, again, not only in the space uh, field is there a space drain, but education in terms of future needs. When I was speaking about artificial intelligence and the need to merge data sets from space with other data sets, we heard consistently that this is going to require new skills, a new uh, workforce, and so investing in that long-term um, um, 
continuity to ensure that there's a pipeline of skilled workers to maintain the space program to reinvigorate or bring back funding to the Canadian Space Agency was also seen as one of the key um, elements. And, and again, maybe to uh, on a personal note to drive the point on the importance of continuity, investing in education is also just as uh, industry and academia have called for a stable, sustained, funded, long-term program to invest in, education should have the same um, um, approach. And the proof really is the point that I made earlier about the different ISU alumni who have come through the system over the past 20 years who had the investment and were able to capitalize. And so that means that there was a vision 20, 25 years ago to invest in this kind of education and outreach. And last but certainly not least was the urgent call to action. Many of uh, you actually who are here in the room and who attended the roundtables or who submitted papers uh, said we've, uh, we're glad that the Space Advisory Board was reinvigorated. We're pleased to provide you with feedback. Uh, we contributed to the Emerson Report back in 2012. We really hope and want you to underline that this for many of us seems to be a last chance. We, are, you know, we have uh, the industry does not have guidance. There is no plan. Uh, we're losing opportunities. We're not in a position to accept invitations to participate in uh, international programs. So there is a very urgent need to uh, act uh, now. So this was uh, clearly uh, the strongest leitmotif uh, throughout the um, throughout our, our, our findings. Just to quickly give you uh, a sample, also of following uh, the uh, release of the report in August 2017. We continued to engage and do outreach activities as we were uh, tasked to do. We uh, participated in the Aerospace Industries Association of Canada's Space Day on the Hill. That was an extremely successful event. We were able to meet with Minister uh, Baines. We met also with uh, the CSA uh, President Laporte. More, more importantly, we met with members of parliament and others not involved in the space field to uh, continue underlying the importance and the the insights of our recommendations and of what we heard during the consultative process. We participated in conferences, the CSA conference. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the CSA hosted a conference in November that was not per se 100% dedicated to space, but that involved the healthcare system, the idea being to try and get the space sector and another sector where space clearly could have an impact to speak to each other, to see how the different technologies being currently developed for the astronaut long duration of flights, how could that be spin off back here onto terrestrial applications, and vice versa, what kind of research and technology exists in the medical field that maybe could be useful uh, for space. So again, we uh, were uh, optimistic. We did uh, numerous individual outreach activities, community outreach activities, uh, blogs, newspaper articles. And when we were in Toronto around uh, mid-February for the SmallSat conference, I think that that was the day that the announcement was made that the budget would be uh, declared on the 28th of February. And so on the 28th of February, budget 2018 uh, did um, come out. 
there's uh, no doubt that there was, on the part of the Space Advisory Board, that there was disappointment that space had not been uh, signaled out uh, in the 2018 budget. There was a, a, a message that was made on behalf of the Space Advisory Board, which basically said that the board undertook the, of the, the, the analysis that the board undertook of the sector, and our report pointed to the need for an urgent action to reverse the decline in Canada's space capability. We were hoping the government would signal specific measures to advance long-term plans and priorities for Canada in space. Nevertheless, and this is uh, maybe the first really important message, the Space Advisory Board remains uh, engaged and uh, optimistic that we will have a space strategy and we will continue to work uh, actively not only with you but with the Minister to continue supporting the development and continue making the message that there's a need for a long-term space strategy uh, and continue to support as best as we can. So, yes, there was disappointment. We were able to arrange an um, in-person meeting in mid-March in Ottawa. Uh, you have to understand that being a group of 11 individuals that are spread out throughout Canada, trying to orchestrate a meeting where everyone can make it on the same day to Ottawa is not necessarily uh, the easiest of tasks, but we were able to uh, gather that um, uh, support and meet in mid-March um, on the 15th to basically go over with representatives of uh, of. I said uh, we met also with uh, representatives of the CSA, with senior policy staff of uh, Minister Baines's office, and we also had the opportunity to discuss with Deputy Minister Nubley what uh, the budget really uh, meant uh, for the space sector, why perhaps fundamentally we had three preoccupations when we walked into the meeting. One, and you could understand this, would be, well, what is the future role of the SAB? And what is the uh, future in terms of priority of space for uh, Minister Baines and for uh, ICED? And so to this, we got a clear response from the senior staff that was uh, present and from ICED, from the deputy minister as well, that space remains a priority. Uh, space remains a priority for Minister Baines. A space a strategy and a space a plan remains a priority. And that the Space Advisory Board remains vital to the minister in pushing forward the agenda of space uh, in Canada. So that was a, a signal to us that we could um, rethink uh, our position, uh, go over what we had done, and certainly try and regroup and come up with uh, a plan to move forward during the upcoming months. We also noted that um, that uh, the budget did include, one of the things that uh, was discussed at the meeting was why. Why wasn't space funded? I think there was a lot of optimism among the, amongst the Space Advisory Board members that, you know, it's been a long time and uh, a lot of work has been done. We worked quickly. Our reports seem to have been well received. Many others, this is a collaborative effort. Uh, the Space Advisory Board is one vehicle to try and advance uh, space within Canada, but all of you around the table contributed to that and continue to do so. So it very much remains a collaborative effort. So uh, why wasn't it funded? And, and really the... 
resounding response was, well, the government has uh, conflicting and competing priorities. Uh, the purse strings are limited. Requests are numerous. And in any given budget, there will be those requests that get accepted and those not for lack of, uh, of um, merit or importance that will not get uh, funded in a given budget year. And so the response really was one of priorities of um, that this uh, year that uh, the priority was not uh, for a, a designated space strategy plan and funding to accompany the implementation of a plan that could have uh, been declared. You will have also noted that in the budget there are a couple of um, uh, announcements of funding that are relevant to space. Of course, there's the $100 million uh, under th the Strategic Innovation Fund with a particular focus on LEO. There's also uh, monies that were made available for reform focused on making the Canadian regulatory system more agile. So again, this is perhaps um, a point that's worth underlying. We, uh, the Space Advisory Board, has really consistently told individuals uh, at ICED, told the minister as well, that an important signal also is could be incremental. And because one of the recommendations of our report deals with regulatory reform and adapting uh, regulations, the fact that there are monies that have been highlighted to address that issue, even if they're not earmarked for space, could potentially be a signal if some of the regulations that do apply to the space sector were um, reviewed and adapted. So again, this is um, simply one way of, of signaling, although it's incremental, that there is um, seriousness addressed to the needs of the space sector and to some of the concerns that were raised in the report that we tabled um, earlier in the year. There are other initiatives also that you're familiar with, the superclusters, uh, the innovation and skills plan. But again, these um, certainly can benefit the space sector, can benefit certain researchers and companies. Uh, there's still uh, some uncertainty. For example, we raised one of the questions we raised when we did meet uh, back in March was the supercluster initiatives, how will the space sector be able to get integrated uh, or connected to some of the superclusters. If you look at some of the themes uh, of the clusters, one deals with artificial intelligence, one is more geared uh, towards manufacturing, uh, one th towards uh, oceans. Uh, and when you look at the, the, the titles and the content of what they want to achieve, clearly space could be part of the solution of it that are being addressed by the superclusters. But who is going to play the role of connecting and how can space leverage these opportunities that are presented in uh, funds that uh, have been recently announced and are of a more general application? The other point that we wanted to make was when we were in, in, uh, in Ottawa that struck us was some of the key priorities that were highlighted in Budget 2018 included um, thing, uh, issues like Indigenous services. Uh, science clearly was a clear winner in the last budget, as well as uh, women in the workforce um, uh, and equality, gender equality in the workforce. And from a Space Advisory Board's perspective, it seems that these 
priority areas can all clearly be supported by space uh, technologies. You think of indigenous services uh, in terms of connectivity, in terms of bringing healthcare services, in terms of distance education. All of these can be provided thanks to space technology. The same holds true for uh, women in the workforce. If you want to attract an increasing number of um, young Canadians and women in STEM career, impactful career paths, uh, space can serve that purpose as well. And so um, connecting the dots in terms and the narrative of how space can help support government priorities and also mandates of different uh, ministries and agencies within the department is an area where the Space Advisory Board feels it could also uh, play a role in terms of a better understanding of the importance of space to these kinds of uh, issues. The other thing I want to point out and make very clearly uh, to you, the point I wanted to make clearly to you, is the fact that the findings of our report still remain uh, valid. What we heard and, and what we wrote is perhaps uh, even truer today than when uh, we first submitted it in August. Again. This was one report submitted in 2017, but there's been a consistency in terms of the message and in terms of the need for Canada to have a space plan uh, and a space strategy since uh, the Emerson report even before, but in terms of writing, the Emerson report, the Euroconsult report came out, the AIAC uh, white paper was in the same direction, uh, research was done in certain institutions, for example, at Mosaic, HEC Montréal, which I'm involved with, a project, a research project was carried out for the Canadian Space Agency a few years ago to try and highlight what is the economic return on the public uh, investment of public monies in the space sector. And so the, 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 the point uh, being made that is, is, is that the Space Advisory Board simply continued uh, reiterating a message that had been made before and, and the urgency of action in terms of of uh, the Canadian government in our perspective has uh, yet increased even more. The other point we want to try and uh, continue making in terms of um, raising the awareness within uh, government and within the public and with the public um, uh, in general is to try and see what others are doing. If you look around, other countries are continuously increasing their funding to the space sector. You need only look at uh, the United States, for example, that not long ago announced uh, an increase of about a billion dollars to NASA's budget. The European Commission released a, um, a press release in early May, I think, indicating that uh, over the five years starting in 2020 or 2021, it wanted to increase investments in space by 25%. Other countries are also laying the groundwork to facilitate investment in space by regulations and policies. So you look at countries like Luxembourg, who enacted a space mining law back in August 2017. The UK recently enacted a Space Industry Act in March 2018. Uh, the US reinvigorated a Space Commercial Act. So all of these uh, steps that are being taken by, aggressively being taken by countries who 
are um, uh, who foresee and the, the potential of space and who want to get in at ground zero and who want to attract investment, they're laying the groundwork to facilitate um, to, to facilitate uh, commercial investments and research and attract the talent to their own uh, constituencies. Another important factor that where Canada uh, can continue to play a role, and I regret not uh, being able to have attended David Kendall's presentation on global governance, but if you read the, the um, European Union space strategy, the fourth uh, bullet in how they want to project themselves and what is important for Europe in terms of a long-term space strategy is to develop uh, the global framework and the norms uh, within which Europe can continue to have a sustainable and equitable access to space. And so I noted in this morning's presentation by Kevin Whale that this aspect also of uh, norms and regulations in terms of advancing uh, the space sector and where Canada has tremendous strengths and could contribute can, should continue to be a priority for uh, the Canadian government. And last but not least, you need only also look at how many new countries of all sizes are investing in space in their own indigenous space technology, uh, primarily I would argue to have indigenous access either to SATCOMs or to, to data uh, to provide essential needs uh, for their own citizens and for their own country. So this cadence of activities that's happening around the world uh, really should also continue to resonate here in Canada and continue to press on this last bullet that we made about the urgent need for action here in Canada. Moving forward... This slide may appear a little bit flat. Um, it's an interesting position to uh, be in right now. Our next Space Advisory Board meeting is at the end of the month of May, on May 31st, well, where we will gather. And the main objective of this meeting is to really uh, set out a roadmap as to how we can continue to best support uh, and advise the minister and to create a bigger groundswell and to continue to make the point that there is a real need to have a Canadian space strategy. And so I know that words like conduct further public outreach, continue a dialogue may seem, um, again, a little bit flat, but let me try and put a little bit more uh, uh, flesh behind that. To do public outreach, I think one of the things that uh, the Space Advisory Board also learned during its um, journey during the last year is that I don't think that we are currently in Canada doing a good job telling the space story. And so the narrative, I would argue, needs to be changed and embellished. When I was talking before in terms of resonating with the Canadian public and giving a direct impact to someone to for them to understand how space can affect their family, their life, is, I think, an important way to advance the space cause forward. Rather than saying that space technology supports GPS, space technology supports uh, uh, crop uh, farming, etc., to bring it really on a much more personal uh, level. And I would say that um, at the AIAC Space Day on the Hill, there was a very 
simple leaflet that had icons. And basically, the gist of the message was, well, how have you used space today? And you had a logo with a phone. Have you used a cell phone? You had a cross for medical care. Did you go to the hospital? And again, in terms of maybe it's because uh, personally I am surrounded by people who teach management and marketing being in a business school, that the message and that the way that the message is carried forward is extremely uh, important. So when we meet at the end of the month of uh, May, we want to establish a clear idea of what to do because basically the process that we, or the time frame that we're now faced with and the process to uh, continue pushing forward to get space included in budget 2019 is similar to last year's. Uh, there is a work that needs to be done, serious work, consistent work, continuous work with many stakeholders with your help. But then the getting something into the budget process starts sort of the tail end of the fall, early winter. Uh, and then the budgets are usually announced always in February and March. And there's a time frame where you can continue doing outreach, but it's entered what I would refer to as the government um, uh, machinery. And so the the time frame is short. Uh, we will gather again in May. We will send out uh, a message to indicate clearer, uh, a clearer path forward. But I guess the bottom line, and I wasn't here when uh, Sylvain Laporte made his presentation, but I was told by several of you that Sylvain apparently started by saying that, um, that we didn't get funding this time, but it doesn't mean that we should not continue, roll up our sleeves, and continue pushing the space agenda forward. And because I feel that it and the SAB, on behalf of all of us, we feel that it truly is a collective uh, effort. We'd like to continue hearing from you. And in fact, I would like to start today. If you have ideas or suggestions, they're always more than welcome. They're taken uh, seriously. And we will continue the dialogue. We find that the Space Advisory Board, as this um, interdisciplinary and sort of neutral third-party perspective, can continue uh, to assist and advise the minister and to play an important role in pushing the space agenda forward. But we certainly can't work in a vacuum, and we certainly hope to be able to continue to rely on your help and your ideas to push this uh, forward. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spacequeue.ca, or you can post them on our website at spacequeue.ca, where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space, and if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Queue. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.